Thank you, Father, for indeed the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a peace that is not found in anywhere else, in anyone else. It is alone in Him that we look this morning as we gather together, uh, that we look to Christ as our peace. We look to You, O Lord, as we come and we gather and we come expectant and desireful to hear from Your Word, which we know is from Your Word, the Bible. With every word is from You. It is when we hear Your Word, we hear You speak. And so we come in light of these things and we come in light of Christ who is our life. And may You help us, Father, to grow in Him and be conformed to Him this morning. All who know Christ here uh, this morning. And so we ask, Father, that all of us, that You would help us in reviving our hearts. We are deeply in need of it. Continually, persistently, daily. And especially so as we gather together to hear Your Word and to worship You, O Lord. And we pray Your Spirit would work now as we have this time and May you work and illuminate your word, make it clear, help it, help us to receive it, Father. And we ask that uh, you would lead me in proclaiming uh, faithfully your word as your servant for your glory, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over these past two weeks, we have continued uh, walking through the letter to the Colossians. Uh, we have slowed down, though, as you have probably noticed uh, with last week, a bit here in chapter 3, to walk thoughtfully through chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. So why have we slowed down? Well, sometimes we need to. You know, with these verses, we need to slow down uh, to focus in, and especially so in view of our call to a practical Christianity, to a Christianity that is not simply something that we profess or something that we affirm, uh, tipping our hat to it, but something that we actually and believe and we live out. We believe in a Christianity that is not simply to stay within, but to go out of us and to be lived out among us. And so that is Christianity that is not content to stay within these walls. A Christianity that breaks out and goes out. So Ronald Reagan, you know, the 40th president of the United States, you know, he famously said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You'll remember, now we know that wall was the Berlin Wall. But with these verses, here we must tear down the walls that want to keep Christianity within our walls, within the walls of our churches and nowhere else. These walls, many of our own devising, they must come down. Hence it is that we take time on these verses to spur us on to not only pondering the glories of the gospel, which we have done, right, with chapters 1 through 2, we exalted Christ together and how glorious He is. But now we are called to live in light of these glories that we have seen. To live according to the new life, the new self that we have in Christ. 
So with this being our heart, let us press on then here to look at chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 in Colossians. So if you would, open your Bibles, and I'll be reading here, actually beginning with verse 12, to give something of the context here. So may God's living and active word pierce and expose the thoughts and intentions of our hearts this morning, wherever you are and whatever you, your week's been, may that be the case, and may the Spirit of God work in us. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion and hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Amen. Well, right off, we see again here this emphasis on what? On the heart. (laughs) You look at this passage, beginning, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Hearts. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so, while all around us, you know, there is this great stress upon the external, God, He is here calling us to look and examine the internal. He wants hearts that are His. God, He did not call us to be porcelain dolls. You know, empty within, but beautiful without, which in reality, that's not beautiful. I mean, that, that's a facade. That's fake when it comes to Christianity. And so we need to come, as we come to this passage, ready to kind of offer up our hearts and say, Lord, you want me to examine my heart, the internal, and so give me grace right now at, I, that I would do that. So ready yourself, and thus first, from the heart, we are to be a people at peace because of the Lord of peace. So we are to be a people of peace because of the Lord of peace. So this peace of Christ is to reign, is to rule over, is to define our hearts. So the other time, you know, Paul, he mentions uh, this peace is actually in Colossians chapter 1. And so in light of how he has already told us and what, how he views peace, so Colossians 1, 19 through 20, he said there, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, of course referring to Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
There is the peace that we are to have, and we have because we have been what? Reconciled with God. We were not reconciled with God. But if you know Christ, you are, you have been reconciled with God, and there is peace. I mean, do you know that peace? I mean, that's an abundant peace. That's a real peace. And he gives us that. Alongside this, we may see peace here used in similar ways in Paul's letter to the Ephesians or Ephesus. Where we? David? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he, he read that faithfully there, and that's where we saw it before as well. So Paul, he lifts up Christ as the one who is our peace. So the peace in view here is a peace wrought from having been made right with God through Christ. It's peace that springs forth from reconciliation with God. So while you know the waves of condemnation roll about us, and the arrows of the devil fly about our heads, a whirlwind of worldly threats come at us and abound, Jesus is there, declaring, peace, be still. So as the body of Christ, we have peace with God. And we are to be also in light of that peace with God. And that is a defining peace, isn't it? We are also to be at peace with one another. So sadly, too often, you'll hear of Christian infighting. You don't have to look far to find it. Unfortunately, when we ought to be joining arms together and fighting not against each other, we fight against each other. Instead, we we do need to join our arms together and fight together against the wiles of the devil. I mean, how beautiful and what a witness it is to the world it is when we believe and we are set like flint upon the peace of Christ in us and among us. But, as I say that, I am not talking about and referring to a false peace, a veneer of peace, but true peace, the peace of Christ. It is, it is no peace for a church to flee from the word to embrace the world. That is a veneer of peace. That's evil. It's idolatry. And to be honest, I mean, what a fearful, and I mean a fearful accounting, we will witness on the day of judgment for those who would supplant the peace of Christ for a facade they will have to answer before God. Why did you do this? To God himself. But how do we stir up this true peace in us, the peace of Christ? How can we seek to let our hearts to be ruled by this peace? Well, first, meditate upon the gospel. Meditate upon the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about Worldly meditation here, I know you have heard of that kind of meditation, you know, so I don't have in mind Eastern religions and meditation aimed at losing oneself or uh, reaching nirvana or uh, 
getting to the point where you can uh, meditate totally clear of any thought of anything around you or anything in you or of you. Well, worldly meditation is not for the Christian. But biblical gospel meditation is. So let me give two examples here from Scripture where we kind of we see this right biblical gospel meditation. So one obvious one is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law of the Lord he meditates day and night. That's right. So the psalmist ponders God's word without end. He chews on the word, uh, turning it about, and, and examining it, and uh, distinguishing its uh, various qualities and applications as well. Another example, which is actually connected to the peace of Christ, Philippians 4.8. I'm, I'm not going to read the part that talks about the peace of Christ, but preceding this, it talks about it, and after it, it does as well. So Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brothers, <clears throat> whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, in the context here of Philippians, you know, Paul, he's not simply setting forth for us the power of positive thinking. I mean, you take this verse alone, I guarantee you'll find this verse in those books. But that's not what he's doing. He's talking about a gospel-centered, God-centered kind of thinking. So meditating upon the gospel means we reflect upon it. We mull over it. Consider some of these gospel gems. The gospel is the power of God. It's where we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's sufficient for life In godliness, the gospel declares the unrighteous, righteous, the holy, or the unholy, holy, the dead, alive, the hopeless, hopeful. The gospel provides victory over sin, over death, and over the spiritual forces of darkness. The gospel provides peace with God, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, an everlasting inheritance. The gospel allows you to enter the throne of grace with confidence. It empowers you to walk in the newness of life in true Spirit-empowered, dependent obedience. The gospel is able to save the high, the low, the rich, the poor, the young, the aged, whether hated, hating, or haughty, whether family, friend, neighbor, or you, the gospel saves. Such is to fill our minds. And as we meditate upon the gospel, how the flaming arrows of the evil one will lose their sway over us. In Christ, what will happen? He will be exalted in our lives and He will be exalted in our churches. So do you know this? This piece this morning? Maybe you do, but if you don't, what is the alternative? You are here and you do not know Christ. 
you hear me talking about these things and you are hearing a man who is foolish. But friend, you do not have peace and you have searched for it and you have not found it. And that peace is only in Jesus Christ. It does appear foolish. And there's a reason for that. It's because we are rebels against God. And when we hear anything contrary to rebellion, we think it's foolish. But don't believe those lies. There in Christ is where peace is. So consider the alternative. No peace. Judgment from God. Eternal separation. Jesus declaring to you personally in front of you, depart from me, I never knew you. So have you come to the Lord of peace that you may have true peace? Second, how we become people of peace is we exalt in the gospel. We exalt in the gospel. So alongside this exhortation, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts is this one, and be thankful. So what would you think, you know, this Thanksgiving, if someone comes to your house, you know, they sat, sit down and to eat with you, and at once, what do they do? They begin demanding this and that. Hey, give me that pumpkin pie over there. Put it right here. I'm not getting up. Give me that turkey. Give me the sweet potatoes. Hey, I want a drink. Can you just go get it? Man, that's a mean guy. Hey, you're in my seat. Get up. Actually, you know what? That's not my seat, but get up anyway. Well, and then I'm done yet. What after that, after they begin eating, they you know, they remark very kindly, Oh, this turkey tastes like death. Well, they, you know, they leave without a word of thanks. In word or deed? What would you think of that person like that? First, why are they in my house? Is probably one thing you're thinking, and probably not part of my family, but maybe they are, you know. Well, that person you would think is a rascal. It's a day of Thanksgiving, and they come with no thanks, and they're only concerned about themselves. Well, now that is terrible. But it's worse if a people who have great reason to be thankful gather here or scatter from here and are known as a demanding, ungrateful people. Those looking forward to the great Thanksgiving feast ever known as they go about as rascals. May we, above all, be known as a thankful people because we, above anyone else, have a reason to be thankful. He saved a wretch like me. And I'm not thankful as I go to the restaurant. I remember sitting in school, in college, undergraduate studies, and there was this lady, she was a waitress at a restaurant, and I asked her, you know, how her job was going and everything else, and she said, well, it was, it was Easter was coming, and she says, I hate Sundays. You know why? <laughs> the church folk. 
They are the most ungrateful, demanding people that I have that come to church, come, come to my restaurant. And so, what's going on? Why is that? That we would be known as this ungrateful people that we above all have the greatest reason to be thankful. So let us become and be and shine the light of Christ to people around us. And be thankful. Let us exalt in the gospel. Bless the God who has blessed you like a cup overflowing. Let us overflow with exaltation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, we are to be a people who bleed the word of Christ. We are to be a people who bleed the word of Christ. So it says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I don't know how you think of the word richly, but I don't think mild when I, when I hear, hear the word richly. Do you think of mild? <laughs> Probably not. Um, but instead, richly is something that spills out of us, right? You know, Charles Spurgeon, he said of the, the Puritan John Bunyan, he said, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is biblin. And that right there is richly. And I want to be like that. You prick me and I bleed Scripture. But how do we bleed the Word of Christ? Well, first, immerse yourself in the Word. Let it dwell in you. But what is the the word of Christ referring to here? Well, I I think very obviously it's referring to the gospel. I mean, this would parallel Paul's earlier words in chapter 1. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, word of truth, word of Christ, the connection there. But where is the word of Christ chiefly found? In the word of God. It's found here in our Bibles, right? So if we are to immerse ourselves in the Word of Christ, we must be immersed in the Word of God. Now when I picture immersion, you know, not baptismal immersion, so in case you're getting theological there, sitting there and thinking, he just said immersion, he's talking about baptism. I am not. But when I picture immersion, you know, I don't imagine someone kind of, you know, dipping the tip of their toe you know, in the water. You're like, oh man, that guy just totally immersed in the water when he dipped his toe in there. I don't think we think that way, do we? (laughs) Moving it around a little bit. I think we do that sometimes with Scripture as well. We slightly dip a toe or hand or maybe even a foot into God's Word, but that doesn't quite capture the Word, does it? Richly. We were meant to dive in, to totally immerse ourselves into the pages of Scripture. You know, as I think of this, I think of believers in other countries who do not have our Bibles, and when they get a page of Scripture, they are just eating it up. They have one page, and they memorize it. They immerse themselves in it. 
And then I wonder what happen, what will happen if that happens here in America? How many people will be like that? Or will the word of God be totally absent? So, this is different, what we're called to in immersing. It's different from standing along the edges and observing only. I think we sometimes do that too. You know, we observe the water, but God, He does not want us to only look at it, where you may be able to tell people how learned you are, while you actually haven't gotten into the pool at all. God intends for all of it to get into all of us. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is a person who is immersed in the Word of God. So immersing ourselves in the Word means we read it, means we study it, means we memorize it, means we think about it, it means we listen to it. And to complete the picture, we must apply it. We must do it, and that's immersing ourselves in the Word, each piece and part. Second, exhort with the word. So teach and admonish with the word. We need, I mean, how, how, how much do we need that? As we face life, as we face difficulties, as we face trials, we need brothers and sisters who will come alongside us humbly, kindly, compassionately, gently, and sometimes urgently as well, telling us, remember the word. Remember the word. You're, you're going the wrong direction, or remember the word. You see, you didn't think about this aspect of what God may be doing in this. And so, we, each one of us here, come and exhort one another. Then third, exhort with song as well. Now, depending on your translation here of your Bible, you might see this point rather clearly, but to others like mine, the ESV, you know, it connects letting, so If you'll listen carefully here, it connects letting uh, the word of Christ dwell in you with singing psalms, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, so however, the way this is worded in the Greek is more like this. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So some of our English translations word it this way as well. So if you have an NASB there, you've already seen this. You're like, I'm good. I don't know why you even spend this time. Well, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And if you have the King James Version, I believe it says the same thing as well. So, And I put all that before you, so you won't just think I'm making all this up. But you see it in other translations as well. And so, we are called to exhort with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, you know, it's no secret that songs can and often do exhort us to something. Let me give you an example. Consider the words we sang a moment ago. May the word of Christ dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. Did that exhort you? May the peace of Christ, my Savior, rule my life in everything that I may be calm 
to comfort sick and sorrowing. Did that exhort you? May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill a sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. That's being exhorted with song. And consider how many times in your own life, God, He has just used a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song to encourage, to comfort, and to stir your soul. And that's exhorting in song. Fourth, exalt in the Word. Here is where we return specifically to singing in the text, if you get and see where I connected that there. So be immersed. So this is coming all together. Be immersed in the Word, exhorted with the Word, and exhorted with song, and in view of all of these things, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All that brings you to this. And that all of those things rise up in your soul, express your heart, bow down in lips, spilling forth adoration of our Savior. Man, look at that person who would do these things as they go into the world, in their workplaces, in their homes, in their families. Not perfect, but the word of Christ is directing them. Man. Now with all this, we have seen from not just these verses, but chapter 3, verse 1, until now, let us lastly be a people who pursue a Christ-centered everything. There is to be no area that is off-limits or untouched by Christ in our lives. If you want revival in our country, may this be us. But I'm afraid an imperceptible yet abiding infection has swept over Christ's church in America, the infection of apathy, of complacency, and familiarity. We are adrift and lost at sea, miles from the shore, and many are simply fine with being adrift. Far from safety, content in complacency. Whatever you do has become... I'll never do. It's apathy. I, I like my, my recliner more than, I, more than I like to follow Christ. My plea is come back. If that's you here, come back. Come alive and receive all that we have seen this morning. Come back. Break down the walls of your Christianity. Let I'll never do be whatever you do. Let do nothing in the name of the Lord Jesus be do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let your faith no longer be divided. Break down the walls. Repent. Return to the Savior. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And let your walls come down. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. Christian, tear down these walls. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is your everything. Let us resolve then together, Haven, let Christ be everything and be everything in our lives.
Let sin be undone. Let virtue thrive. Let us be peace-filled, word-immersed, and Christ-centered in everything. So let us break down the walls because waves are coming. Let's pray.